Good morning. Hey, my name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're in this room now, it's so good to be with you in person. If you're watching online, hey, how you doing? Good morning. If you're watching at another time, thanks for checking in and being a part of us and our church family uh, on this morning, on this day. Uh, it is... Uh, it's really good to be back. I, uh, I had this, this unique experience that I've never had before in my life. Um, I, uh, I went on a cruise. Okay. That's, that's about what I expected, a, a mixed result. I'm glad that you're excited about it. It's clear that uh, some of you don't care, which I, which I get. Uh, some of you, it sounds like, have been on a cruise, and that was great, and some of you have been on a cruise, and that was less than great. And so that was probably kind of sums up our, our total experience as a family. It was a, it was a gift to be able to go. Um, uh, Abby and I and our three boys got to go with my sister and her family, and it was a gift from my mom and dad to us. And uh, my mom turned 80 years old over COVID, and this was her dream. She wanted us all together as a family, um, and she wanted uh, us to not be able to escape. And so she came up with this idea that if she could rent a boat and put us on it and then get out to sea, we would just uh, have to be together. And so, no, I'm kidding. It was, it was a really great experience. It was, uh, uh, it was an Alaska, Alaska cruise, and that is, it was just beautiful. It was amazing. And uh, so uh, thanks, Mom, if you're watching. Uh, and uh, it was, yeah, it was a great experience. So we, we got to do that. It was a week-long cruise, and so um, took a couple weeks off a vacation for this summer and really, really glad to be back. So... Uh, hey, we're in the book of Luke. If you don't know, we've been working our way through the book of Luke for some time now, a number of months, and we're just kind of going uh, section by section as we go on. That's why we're reading it together, as you heard Maya read just a little bit ago. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, would you join me in Luke chapter 8, verse 4? Luke chapter 8, verse 4 is where we're going to pick up. And uh, I want to tell you about a couple friends of mine that as I, uh, as I think back over my life, there are a number of people, and actually, um, I, I don't even have a, an exact number. There are, I, I would say, many people that I have been, um, as I look back, realize that it's just God's grace and goodness in my life, that I have a number of people that I can point to over the course of my life that, that I can say, they, uh, they met Jesus, um, chose to follow Jesus, have been shaped by Jesus, and are still following Jesus. Um, and so as I look back over the course of my life, my, my parents, I've, I've shared this before, um, I am the only one that I know of my friends that I grew up in um, that uh, have parents that are still married to each other. And, and then in addition to that, they actually like and love each other and, um, and still are following Jesus. Um, I grew up with a, a great group of friends and all of their families experienced divorce or um, would tell you that their parents do not either follow Jesus or love each other. Because of that, I can look back over the totality of my life and know that my parents have introduced me and put me around people who have been formed by Jesus and to this day keep following Jesus. And the ones that I look at that have been most influential in my life can share stories in the regular course of their life where they say the words, I heard from God. And from the earliest memories that I have, when I heard someone say that, my heart leapt. And it, and, it, and it left with a sense of, I want that. You said that you've heard from, from God, I, I want that. I don't know what that all means, even as a, as a kid, uh, as a young adult, I, I, I kind of thought I, I knew what that means. As I've, as I've gotten older, I, my heart still leaps out, I, I want that. 
And I can point in times in my life where I've heard from God, whether it be directly from Scripture. I've not heard his voice audibly. I've had the Holy Spirit direct me to make choices and decisions, say yes to some things and say no to other things. But the people in my life that have said that I've heard from God, I've realized I, I want that. I long for that. But as I look back over my life and I look at those key individuals, a number of them, it wasn't just that they said that they heard from God, but then what they heard was actually reflected in what they did. That there were moments in their life where they said, I'm to go and I'm to move from where I live now and move to another place in order to serve God in a new way. Another one was, I am supposed to say no to this relationship and I don't totally understand why, but I hear clearly from God I'm supposed to say no. Others were the opposite. I'm supposed to say yes. Others were to say, I'm to change my behaviors and my habits in this way because these things are not conforming me to the person that God wants me to be, but they're taking me away from that. But they would hear from God and then they would follow it up and actually do what God was calling them to do. And those are the people that I realize over the course of my life, I look back and that's been a habit that's been repeated in their life over and over and over, that they not just heard from God, they not just received something from scripture, they not just felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit, but then they turned and they followed it up with a sense of, here's a word for us, obedience. Obedience. I, I don't know how you hear that. When I share that with you, I don't know if you have people in your life where you say, yeah, I know those too. I have those in my life too. Or if your heart leaps and goes, I want to be that kind of person. Or maybe you hear that and you just think, meh, not really interesting. Jesus shares a story where he puts all those options out in front of us. How do we want to respond when we hear his word? And he tells it in this weird kind of little short little story, and then he drops it and he leaves it and he says, what are you going to do with this? That's the story that we're going to look at together. And he uses it and he, he, he explains it in the context of soil, of what kind of soil does your heart represent? And not what kind of soil does your heart represent from now forever, but in a given hour, in a given day, in a given season, what kind, of, what kind of soil does your heart represent? And he talks about seeds, and he does it through a sower who's sowing seeds, and we're going to look at that closely. And then he follows it up with a, a little comment about a lamp, and then a comment about a family. And so what we're going to do together as we look at this is we're going to talk a lot about soil, a little bit about a lamp, and a little bit about family. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4, it says this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
So uh, Jesus has uh, got quite a fan base. Uh, people are following him around. He's done miracles. He's healed people. He's done these just outlandish, crazy, wonderful, supernatural acts. Uh, and, and people uh, can see and people can walk who've never walked and people can hear that have not heard before. And he actually had somebody who was dead and he raised him again. Uh, and he's done all these things. He's, he's taught and it says he's taught, taught with authority. And then he shares a story like this. He shares a story like this and then he finishes and he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, which if, if, you're, if you have ears, which m- most people have ears, and I'm gonna assume that everyone there had ears, and they're all thinking, great, I, I have ears, and I should hear that. Now what possibly am I supposed to do with that? I am not a farmer. Um, I don't have anything to do with seeds. I don't have anything to do with harvest. In fact, I don't have really anything to do with food. I'm a, I don't know, I'm a banker, or uh, I, uh, I, I build cars, or I uh, am a teacher in a university, or I, what am I supposed to do with this little story? And Jesus says, if you have ears, hear this. So his disciples kind of pull him off to the side a little bit and, and want to talk to him because they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do with it. They're fishermen and tax collectors and other guys, and they're not, they're not farmers. And so his disciples pull him aside, and they say this. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And Jesus says this. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others... I speak in parables so that, here's the reason, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. Wait, what? Like, that's not helping Jesus. Like, listen to the guy. So that seeing, they may not see. Okay, we just moved from ears to eyes, but okay. Though hearing, they may not understand. So if you're one of the disciples and you've pulled Jesus off to the side in front of the crowd and you're like, hey, what does that mean? Because you just told a story and then you ended it with like this exclamation point of, hey, if you've got ears here and we have no clue what we're supposed to do with that. And so we don't think anybody else has a clue. So Jesus, do you need to take a little break and kind of revisit this in another way? And Jesus pulls him off to the side and says, hey, look, listen, you've, you guys have already got some more information than everybody else, the secrets of the kingdom. And they're going, uh-huh. Sure we do, but whatever. And then Jesus says, I speak in parables so that people would not understand. Wait, okay, you're just shifted your whole way of being and doing and teaching, and we're not sure that this is gonna go very well. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is speaking in parables so that they wouldn't easily understand. Why, why, why would he do that? Let's first understand what a parable is. A parable. Maybe you're familiar with parables, but there's all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they come up through Scripture. It's a, it's a, it's a literary thing. It's a tool. It's an oratory tool. Parable, it sounds really close to this word parallel. Parallel, runs alongside. Mirrors, runs alongside. So a parable is parallel to the truth. So there's a truth. There's a moral lesson or a spiritual lesson or truth in some way. And a parable runs parallel, runs alongside that truth, and it teaches that truth or spiritual lesson in some new way. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What does that mean? It uses the everyday stuff that we're familiar with of our lives to illustrate, to explain, to teach a spiritual truth. Here's the other thing that a parable does, and this is what Jesus is doing. A parable both reveals 
It reveals truth and it also conceals truth. It reveals truth and conceals truth. Ah, we're getting a little bit closer here, right? Because Jesus is revealing some things, but he's also concealing some things that those who hear would not understand. Why? Here's why. Jesus is doing that to reveal to them their own hearts. See, what Jesus has done is he stood up a number of chapters ago, early up in Luke, he, he, he stood before a group of people and he read Isaiah and he says, this is, this is who I am and what I'm to do. I'm to set the captives free. I'm to bring healing and, to, and bring peace. And the day of the Lord, the Jubilee, this is me, I'm here. And what did they do? They hated him for it and they ran him out of town and they started to make plans to kill him. Jesus teaches with authority, and some people are drawn to him and follow him, and other people reject him, and other people are completely apathetic and indifferent. And so Jesus changes his strategy, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal a little bit, but I'm not going to reveal any, everything. And what it's going to do is it's going to reveal people's hearts. Are they interested? When they hear a little bit, are they drawn in, or are they indifferent and apathetic? Or do they just oppose it and say, I'm not on Team Jesus at all? Jesus is speaking in these mysterious parables that both reveal and conceal truth in order to check hearts of people. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Jesus is doing this. So the disciples who have pulled Jesus off to the side a little bit and have said, hey, what's going on here? He's like, listen, you guys get it. And they go, oh, kinda. Some people out there get it, but not everybody does. And so I'm gonna reveal it to them and see who leans in and wants to find out what is yet concealed and what just go on their way and walk away. That's what Jesus is doing here. So then he really helps them out and he gets to the next, next verse and he says this, I'm gonna explain it to you. I'm gonna tell you exactly what I meant with this parable of the sower and of the seeds and of the soil. And here he goes and he says this, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Okay, now if you've read this before, if you're familiar with scripture, if you're familiar with Luke, if you read ahead, if you listened carefully when we read it earlier, you, you get that, it's the, it's the word of God. But the disciples didn't know that and those that were listening didn't know that. And so Jesus says, the, okay, in this little story I told, the seed is the word of God, the word of God. And so I'm illustrating, I'm explaining, I'm telling a parallel story that reveals this spiritual truth that, that the word of God is always out there. It's always out there, it's always available, but it lands on our hearts in different ways. The Word of God, now let's be really clear what the Word of God is, because when I say that, some of us hear that and we have a really clear idea of what it is. Others of us hear it and we go, I hear that a lot, I'm not quite sure what it means. And others of us say, I thought we all knew what that meant, why, why would we need to stop and define that? The Word of God here, when we say that, the most common thing that we think of is the Bible. Okay, now what we know is that this is telling a story where Jesus is referring to the word of God and it wasn't written yet, right? They, didn't, they weren't walking around with this Bible yet. So when Jesus is talking about the word of God, he's referring to something more than what we are when we're talking about this book that we have that we believe is God's inspired word to humanity. It's God's truth. But it means more than that. If you go to the next book, we're in Luke, if you go to John, John starts with these words that say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So a book's never done that. And so the word of God, the Bible, is talking about the word of God is beyond just what we have in the Bible. It's God in the flesh, it's Jesus Christ. The word there in the Greek is logos. 
but God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the word of God is the person of Jesus, what we have in our Bible. And if we were to kind of boil it all down, it's God's truth revealed most specifically in the person and work of Jesus, what we call the good news, the gospel. And it is all pointing to God's desire and plan and promise to heal all that is broken in all of the universe, to bring more of his kingdom. And so when Jesus is saying, I've revealed to you the secrets of the kingdom, what he's telling his disciples is, look, God is at work doing something. His truth is going forth. You've caught some of it, but I'm gonna continue to sow it, to share it, to declare it, to preach it, to repeat it, to tell others about it. I'm going to tell the word of God. And Jesus is saying this as the word of God. And so what Jesus is saying here is, this story is unlocked when you have this key and know that the seed is the word of God. So that's the story I'm telling. Then he goes on and he says this. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, so Jesus all of a sudden just got like super serious with the first place that the story lands some seeds in. So here's what happens is a, 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 a farmer is, is a sower, is sowing seeds. And the way that they did it then, they didn't have big machinery. They would walk with a, with a bag tied around their side and they would reach in and they would throw seed out like this. And they would we'd throw it. Now, if you've ever planted anything, my guess is that you've prepared the place that you're gonna put the seed before you put the seed there. You know, whether it was in preschool and your, your teacher helped you with a little cup of soil and, and you dug a little hole and you put it in and you covered up, or if you've ever gardened anything and you've prepared the rows and then you put the seeds in and then you cover it back up, or maybe you farmed in some way and you've got a machine that does it. They did it in the opposite way. They sowed the seed. So the, the guy would just walk and throw the seed everywhere. And then they would come through and they would plow it into the soil. And then somewhere later on, somebody said, hey, that's backwards, switch it up, and, and humanity moved forward. But they did it backwards then, at that time. And so they would walk and just throw a seed. They didn't know what, what kind of soil it was landing on. But then they would plow it through, and after they would plow it through, then people would you know, walk, find their way around the, the, the land in different ways. And so what would happen is it would end up that some of the seed would turn out to be where a path ends up. And Jesus gets really serious really fast, and the first place that the seed lands is on the path. And it doesn't grow there because it's trampled. And he says that is like when the word of God comes into you and your life. But it doesn't get plowed into a place where it can grow. It sits on the top and is trampled. And it doesn't truly sink in. And then he says this, and he drops the devil. He says the devil comes and he takes the truth of God away. So that in that moment, we're not changed and saved and redeemed by that truth. But it's gone. What Jesus is doing, those for who are hearing but not totally understanding, and for his disciples, and for us today, is he's starting, as he moves through these four places that seeds fall, he's starting with, by saying, there is a cosmic battle going on. I want us to be really clear about this. You need to know that as I'm, as I'm living and breathing the word of God, Jesus is saying, as I'm telling you about the kingdom and what he's doing and the way to be with him on that, the way to be redeemed and find life and peace and hope and rest and joy, that the devil wants to take that away, that there's a cosmic battle going on, that this isn't, we're all sitting here just casually available with no distractions and nobody competing for us and nobody fighting for us. There's a cosmic battle going on that Jesus says that the devil is actively trying, his strategy 
His purpose, his goal, his intention is to take the truth that has the ability to transform each and every one of us and bring us to life and hope in Jesus Christ alone, to take that truth away and to make us forget it, deny it, disagree with it, and to be separated from it, that there is a cosmic battle going. So he's starting very seriously, and Jesus is saying, maybe the whole crowd can't handle this. Maybe the whole crowd doesn't want to hear this, and so I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to unlock it for you, that there is a battle going on for your soul that this isn't just take it, look at it for a little bit, decide what you think about it, and set it aside. That there is somebody competing for your existence. And so you need to remember that and to know that. And there are some people that will deny and walk away from the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and they will set it aside and go on with what they hope to be a life, but experiences death over and over and over again. Jesus is saying at the very beginning, my truth is going out, and some deny it, and, the, and Satan comes and takes it away, and he wins at that moment. There's a cosmic battle going on for you and I. The second thing, the second place the seed falls, he says this, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. If you remember uh, when the second seed was described by, by Jesus in the story, what he says is that it falls and there's no moisture. It's on the rock and there's no moisture there. And uh, it can't set down roots. And so in a time of testing, it falls away. And so what Jesus is saying is that for some of us, we hear it with joy we know that we've genuinely, truly experienced Jesus. And we say, there's truth in this, and I want this. And the soil of my heart is ready to receive it. But, but what happens is that as the roots don't sink in and don't truly, truly take root. And what, what we know is that there are times of testing that come, and then that reveals that the root has not totally sinking in, that it's not made its way truly into our heart to stay and a time of testing comes and it falls away. Testing is the same word used for temptation. And when we hear temptation, maybe you can think that temptation is fully negative and temptation is really the negative way to describe testing, but there is a positive way to describe testing. And when we find it in scripture over and over again, particularly in the New Testament, what God is doing is he's saying, I wanna to reveal to you and to me where you're at. And so testing comes into our life that God allows to come in. And please hang with me. Hear testing, not temptation, although they're the same thing. It's easier to hear when we hear testing. And he wants us to prove. Have you ever studied and studied and studied and studied for an exam or for a licensing or for something that, that is, has life-altering implications? And you work and you study and others come around you and they help and they supply you with coffee and they make things quiet around you and they help test you and ask you and help provide resources so that you can prepare for it. And you've contoured your life for a number of, whether it be years, months, or weeks in order to come up to that point and then you, you sit and you take the, the test or the exam or you sit for the licensing if it's oral and you, you perform. And then you wait and you think, how is this gonna end up? What is my score gonna be? And then you get the score back, whether it's delivered to your phone or in an email or in a paper, and your eyes look at it for the first time, and it all clicks in. 
and you realize that you have passed. And the next door to the next chapter of your life is opened up and you step forward. You have been proved right. You have been tested, tempted, and proved right. And Jesus is saying there are times in our life where we're proved wrong, when we have not been formed by his word and his truth. And so a testing or a temptation comes into our life and it's like we're scraped right off the top of the rock because we didn't have roots that went down into soil. Jesus says the second seed represents those times in our life or those people who this is the condition of their heart at this moment. We're testing, trial, temptation reveals that we're not yet strong enough, we're not ready. The roots have not formed us as disciples, as followers of Jesus enough to withstand that. And then he moves to the next one and he says this, the third one. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This verse, the third seed, falls among the thorns. And the soil, get this, the soil of this one is really, really good. Because why? Because the roots go down really quick, right? And they formed. Not only that, but the roots of the thorns go down. The soil is great, but it's soil not just for the seed, the word of God, but it's also soil for thorns. And so all sorts of kinds of things are growing, have sunk roots into this particular soil, this particular heart. And when they grow up, there's competing things that are growing up. The word of God, that seed is roots down and it starts to grow up, but then the thorns grow so much stronger that they actually choke out the goodness of God's word that's forming in our life. And he says specifically, Jesus is really specific here. And this verse among all the others, I think describes exactly us. It's been a long while as I've looked over this and read on this and studied and meditated this week on this. I need to tell you that I don't know that I've come across a verse in quite a long time that I think is for us at this time. That is that is relevant, that is timely, that it's actually like Jesus wrote this thinking of us as his followers in the year 2022. Now, I know he didn't. I know a lot of people have read this for a long time and the disciples heard that and Jesus said this, you know, some 2,000 years ago, but this is particularly relevant for us today. That the soil of our hearts lacks some discernment and everything gets in and everything grows up. And when everything can grow up at an equal pace, the things of this world end up choking out the things of God. Because we lack the discernment to say, no, those seeds should not come in. Those seeds compete with and contradict the goodness and the truth of God's word. And he describes it specifically with three words. He says, life's worries, life's riches, and life's pleasures. Now, if you can come up with a fourth word in your life that competes with the goodness and truth of God's word, I really, really want to hear it. You don't have to yell it out. You can catch me afterwards. You can email me. I want to know, I want, what doesn't fit in those three? Life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures. I mean, Jesus, I mean, granted, Jesus is a pretty smart guy, but he just, he just gets all of it right there. Worries? Life's worries, get this, Jesus is saying life's worries and anxieties choke out God's word in our life. Can I get an amen? 
Is that not true of us? What are the things that you worry about? Now, when I say that, your mind just races faster than any processor in any iPhone that's ever existed. It just, ro- it just immediately, all of these things come to your mind. Is the job gonna work out? Are you gonna be able to make payments? Is he gonna say yes? Is she gonna say yes? Is he gonna say yes? Is she gonna say no? I interviewed, when am I gonna hear back about that? Is the vacation gonna, gonna work out? I don't think we're gonna be able to paint the house this summer as we were planned because of this, that, or the other thing. When is they gonna finally understand what it is that I'm trying to communicate and say, am I gonna be healthy enough or am I gonna get sick again? The, the number of worries that we have in our life, and all of those things are valid and legitimate. None of them are to be minimized or dismissed, and Jesus doesn't do that. He just puts them on a different priority level. He just moves them out of the garden of our soul and says, my word is to be in there first and foremost and to take up the most space and have room not just to set roots, but to grow up and to be strong like an oak tree and to be able to hold everything of your life. And worries choke that out over and over when we give space and fuel and feed to them. They are real and they are true and they are valid, but they do not demand or command the space and priority in our life that the word of God should have. And so we wonder why it is that we are overcome with worry. Because we've decided to place it in a place it doesn't belong, the command center and the seat of our very souls. And so to slide it off to the side and to say, God, you are to be in the center of my life alone. Riches and pleasure, well, we gotta think a lot about that, right? One great escape from worry is just to have enough riches. And so if there's worry that is choking out our life, maybe we can go to riches, and if we can get enough riches, then we can take care Because I know some people who have a lot more money than me, and man, they can just write off and pay for and swipe a card and take care of most of the worries that I have in my life. And so if I had a little bit more, I am pretty certain that all of the worries of my life would be taken care of because I could pay for them or pay somebody else to worry about them or take care of them, right? That's worked out really good over the course of, I don't know, human history. That doesn't work. And you need to hear that clearly, and I need to hear that clearly and repeat it to myself, because in about 45 seconds, I'm gonna be spinning another story in my mind that says, no, I think if I just had a little bit more, it would work and it would take care of it. We do this over and over and over and over again, and we know that it works out well for our neighbor because I watch them, and it works out so well. Because when something goes wrong in their life, they can just pay for it. And so they've got to be living a better life than me. And so if I just had a little bit more riches, and then if I orchestrate and arrange my life to have a little bit more and make a little bit more income, then I'll get there. And as soon as I have just a little bit more, what happens? Then i got to start planning and make just a little bit more, right? And so riches end up not being the way to take care of and secure my life. But man, there's a lot of messages around right now that says that it is but I'm not quite making it there fast enough. And so the thing that I'm gonna shift to is pleasure. Because when I experience pleasure, worries and riches kind of fade to the background and everything is just fine. And so whatever your pleasure might be, whether it might be fun or travel or hobbies or sexuality or fill in the blank with whatever it might be, when we begin to feed on that and think that that will meet the deepest needs of our soul and set the course of our life that points us in goodness. We're betrayed and have lied to ourselves yet again because that ends up falling short and not being what we thought it would be. And so thank God for Jesus' wisdom and truth to in one short phrase say, 
that we're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And instead of having God's truth take root in our life and grow up to be the strength that we can hang all of life on and can hold all of life, it ends up getting choked out by the thorns of those things of this life and falling away. And Jesus says this, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. Hear the word, retain it, and by persevering. The word there is the one for patience. Patiently produce a crop. Patiently produce a crop. A good and noble heart. Think back to what Jesus said earlier. Through that hearing, they may not understand. And Jesus steps back and says, do you want to know? Because it's going to go beyond understanding. It's not just that you have ears and you can hear. It's got to get beyond your ears and your mind. It has to sink into your heart. And so we're going to talk about heart. And where is your heart? Is it ready to receive and depend on and push everything out and just to focus on the goodness and the truth of God's word? And to let that form everything and take up the most amount of space in your life. And that's not going to happen instantly. It's not going to happen in this moment or this afternoon or this week. It's going to persevere and take time. It's going to take patience. One of the highlights of going on a cruise was that we did this thing called an excursion where we, we got to travel off of the cruise ship and go into these, um, take a little bit of a bus ride and get to a, a lake in Alaska. And we got to go out on kayaks. And, and we went out on these kayaks, and it was a gorgeous day, and the water was fantastic. It was freezing. We couldn't swim in it. We would have died. But it was beautiful what we could see around us. And our guides talked to us about what we were looking at, which I just thought were pretty mountains. Majestic, amazing, huge, but just, you know, there's trees on them. They're fantastic. And they began to tell us the history of the science of that area and talked about a glacier that moved through at one point, slowly cutting through the rocks, and we could look up on the mountains and see where it was soft and smooth to other places where it was jagged. And they said that was where the top of the glacier moved through. And when it moved through, it cleared off everything off of the mountains. And what was left was just stone, just rock mountain. And then they asked us the question, what do you see now? And we looked at the mountains and we saw gorgeous, strong, tall trees on the mountains. And he says, how do you think those got there? And I raised my hand and I said, I said, God put them there. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> I had no earthly idea how those trees got there. Because if a glacier, if a giant ice cube pushed through there and sliced everything off of the rock, how possibly do trees grow? And some of you may know this. I didn't know this. And I don't remember all the details in the science, but it, it started with just a little bit of moss growing on the rock. And I think it involves some nitrogen at some point, which I don't quite understand how all that works. And I think it's the right thing. But over time, what happens, it would grow up, and then it would die away. It would grow up and die away, and then it would spread. And, then, and over time, what it built up was enough science matter <laughs> that other things could grow in there. And those would grow up and then die. And then the, the next level of stuff. And all of a sudden, there was a, a, just a little bit of dirt. And then other stuff could grow in that and grow up and then die. And then it grew to where there was enough thickness on the side of rock that a tree could grow. And now we were looking at this beautiful scene of trees everywhere where there used to just be rock. 
that's what God is doing over the course of time as we say, God, have the soil of my heart. It actually feels like rock right now. It doesn't feel like this nurturing soil with nitrogen and whatever else is needed in order for a giant tree to be able to grow into it. It's just a very little bit. And so will you, over the course of time, build it up so that it can receive and hold on to and be formed by and be a demonstration of. And what Jesus says here is he says, when you hear the word of God, that you take it in not just to your mind so that you understand, but that it would get down into the root, that its roots would get down into the soul of your heart. And the way that we see that, the way that we know that in one another is they not just hear the word of God, but then they live it out and obey it. Look at these words of Jesus that he said earlier in Luke chapter six, verses 45, 47 through 49. He says this. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, then it is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus is beginning to call us to this, not just hearing the word of God, but then to live it out, to let it sink deep into our soul and then to let it stand and grow and be what it is. He goes on, we're not gonna read it, we're out of time, but he talks about a lamp. It says the lamp purpose, the light in our life, which he also uses as the word of God, is meant to be seen, and that's what he's saying there. It's meant to be seen by others when we live it out and say, I'm living the way that God's called me to live. And then he goes on and talks about his mothers and his brothers who come into a house and say, hey, we wanna talk to you outside. And he looks at those in the house with him and he says, those are not my mother and brothers. My mother and brothers are right here with me. They're those that listen to my words and then put it into practice. And you can just hear Mary on the outside rolling her eyes going, okay, Jesus, what else? But what Jesus is saying is those that are closest to me know my voice and live it out. And so the question for you and I today is how are we hearing the word of God and putting it into practice? When I first heard this, this story and was familiar with it, this parable of Jesus, it immediately got pushed to the most extreme. Do we end up in heaven or not? And that's an important question, but it's not the one Jesus is focused on in this story. He's asking each and every one of us, at this moment, on this day, of this hour, what does our heart most represent? It can change in an hour. It can change over the course of a year. It can change with the seasons of our life, but that we're constantly assessing is God's word just landing on the outside and the devil being able to kick it aside and take it away? Is it get in just a little bit, but then when something difficult happens, a test, a temptation, we cave and it gets taken away? Does it get its roots in a little bit and begin to grow up but get choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures? And how much are we becoming that noble and good soft heart to have soil where God's roots of his truth get deep into our soul and then can grow up and we actually can look like very distinct and different people in a world that is longing for the light that Jesus represents. As we come to the table now, 
Jesus has taught us and revealed his story, his truth to us. And now he invites us to come. And this in and of itself is a hearing and obeying. It's a listening and putting it into practice of coming repeatedly to his table and to be reminded of his sacrifice, of his body broken and his blood shed. And so I invite you now to come to one of these tables on the side and to take a piece of cracker and to dip it in the juice or to take the cup of juice and take it there with others, take it on your own, go back to your seat and take it. But as we remember the good news of Jesus' bloodshed, his death, burial, resurrection, and his hope for us. So let's pray together and then come to the table as we sing. Jesus, your word, your truth is going out before us all the time. Would we pause to hear it and listen to it? And would it come deeply into our souls, into our very hearts, and would it form our hearts? And Holy Spirit, again, we ask that you would soften it to make it less like a path that's been well-worn. Would it be less like a, a rock? Would it be less like soil that lets everything in? And would it be more fully yours? And Jesus, as we come to, to your table, to your story, to your good news again today, would we be reformed and re-softened by your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and the hope that you alone offer? In Jesus' name, amen.